we don't have any good pre-episode content. Yeah, that's true. We've ruined everything. Yeah. We might as well just cancel the show. Hello, everybody. This is Saturday, November 19th, 2016, and this is episode 29 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz Podcast. I'm Kyle Askin, and joined, as always, by Craig Stone. What's up, Craig? Uh, ready to do this. All right. It's not howdy, but... I should uh, take all of that back and just yeah, say howdy. Maybe maybe should I should just say, say howdy. This is Saturday, November 19th. I don't know. Do you that, want to that would be better, but I'm not doing it over, so let's just keep going. <laughs> okay. For next so, episode, we'll have howdy. Yeah, we'll we'll bring it back. Don't worry. You don't have to send us messages in the Facebook group. I know that we've gotten them in the past when there has been no howdy. Anyway, uh, just a couple things we we feel like we have to mention, but don't have too much to talk about. First, the state has named Atlantic City's overseer. So you want to jump into that quickly, Craig? Uh, Yeah, the person who will be in charge of all of Atlantic City's finances is Jeff Chiesa. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. Uh, I probably should have watched some videos where he gets mentioned by name, but uh, that's what I'm going with. He is a former state attorney general and U.S. senator, a Chris Christie ally, which should surprise absolutely no one. I'll post a link to the Christian Hetrick Press of Atlantic City article about his appointment. And they haven't said anything about what he's been making, and he has been asked and shockingly is not volunteering that info. I'm going to guess it is not cheap you know he's not doing this pro bono but i don't know do you have anything to add about this chris christie ally taking over well, ac I, i'm glad to see that some chris christie ally is going to have a job going forward but uh I, I think you can strike from the record what i said last episode about how it looks like chris christie is very likely going to be resigning in january it looks like he's very likely not going to be resigning in january so I think that Atlantic City and Don Guardian have another year to deal with him. Yeah, so we'll see. We talked about <laughs> potential stalls. I mean, obviously, Chris Christie fell out of favor very quickly with our president-elect. Um, yes. But we'll see what happens with lawsuits and everything else that we talked about last episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think, like Craig said, there's not a whole lot to talk about yet because – I mean, someone's been named, but nothing else has come out. So. Yeah, we know almost nothing about this guy, so <laughs> not much to add. So the next point is that it was pointed out uh, by Justin in the Facebook group that the Claridge, where we have stayed, Craig, is now a Radisson Hotel. What are your, your thoughts? Um, just really quickly, it is not renamed, so it's not going to have the big Radisson logo at the top of it. Well, I don't know that for sure, but I'm assuming it's not. It just... It's called the Claridge Aradison Hotel. Uh, as far as I can tell, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot for anyone unless you are a big Club Carlson member, which is their loyalty program. There's not a whole lot in that program. You know, it's not like Starwood Preferred or something where it's a big network or Hilton Honors. Uh, it's basically Radisson Country Inn and Suites, Park Inn other things that are also branded Radisson. So I guess it's good news if you're in that club and you have a bunch of Club Carlson points. Otherwise, probably not going to make a difference to you. Uh, as far as Claridge is concerned, it's probably not a, a bad deal for them. I don't know any of the specifics, obviously, about what they're paying or getting paid or how that relationship works. But certainly as far as advertising and you know sales systems and all that kind of stuff being in that radisson network is probably better than being out on your own um yeah i mean well so we've talked about how this is is probably good for claridge what what does radisson really get out of it because i think that our experience in the claridge was pretty crappy and it wasn't the kind of thing that like a new coat of paint is gonna fix <laughs> so just to clarify, we stayed at Claridge when it was part of Bally's, and it was certainly in utter disrepair. Uh, supposedly, Claridge, under new ownership, has done a lot to update. They've done a lot, at least with the common areas. Uh, so the lobby's supposed to be very nice. They have 
a 20s themed restaurant. They have a view bar at the very top that overlooks Atlantic City um, that someone in the Facebook group mentioned and posted a picture of that looks pretty cool. I haven't heard a whole lot about the rooms and how they are. I expect they've done some work. I don't know if they've done the full sort of gutting that they really need. But, I mean, for Addison, it's one of those things where it's not like they have this great brand positioning, you know, so it gets them a property in Atlantic City. There's sort of a history there. And by not calling it, you know, a Radisson Hotel, well, they do call it a Radisson Hotel, but by not saying it's the Radisson Claridge uh, and instead saying it's the Claridge, a Radisson Hotel, I think they sort of have some separation there where they don't have to worry too much about people saying like, this Radisson sucks because people aren't going to call it the Radisson. They're going to call it the Claridge. So to get us slightly off topic and blow your estimate of how long this is going to take out of the water, I actually, this might be of interest to some listeners of of the podcast because I know it's come up in the group recently, kind of like weird places that people have gambled. And I traveled to Bucharest for work, Bucharest, Romania for work in September. And I actually gambled in the casino there. I played blackjack for about an hour in actually a Radisson Blue uh, which is, I guess, Radisson's high-end hotel. Correct, Craig? You know more about hotels than I do. But... Oh, I do not know anything about Radisson hotels. <laughs> oh. I've actually stayed in Radisson Blue as well in, in Istanbul. But uh, anyway, I played in a casino in the Radisson Blue in Bucharest. And just to let you know how it is there, and I think it's this way in, in many of the casinos in Bucharest, if you just happen to be in Bucharest and you want to know what the casinos are like, Um. First, you walk in, there's a 50 lei cover charge to get in. Lei is the local currency there in Bucharest. Um, however, you get like a basically a $50 match play chip, which I can't tell you if you keep it until you lose it or if you give it up no matter what because I, I lost my, my match play. So I can't tell you if you get to keep it if you win or not. But uh, so basically, assuming it is, you know, you give it back no matter what you basically pay $50, but get $25 basically in, in casino credit back. So I went upstairs and there's like a whole bunch of different tables. Some are in lay uh, with the minimums and some are in euros. Clearly i don't have any money in euros. I have all dollars in lay. So I sat down at a 50 lay table, which was like mm, kind of like middle of the road. And it's like 12, dollars and 50 cents there and it's dirt cheap with, yeah it's it's pretty cheap and it, it's like middle of the road there i think the cheapest it had was 10 lay tables oh but they're all very full so it's like 250 a hand or something it's amazing so i sat down i played a little bit there a couple of rules weirdness things is one of the things they do is the dealer only gets one card until uh. like, it gets back around to them again so, like, I had, a, I had a case where I had 11 and the dealer had an ace, and they're like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I guess I'm not going to double down because then I'm just going to lose to blackjack even if I get 21. So <laughs> this seems awful. So that is a rule that I think is very, very bad for the players, and they don't allow surrender, of course, because that, that's called early surrender, and that's actually very, very good for the players. Um, other than that, the only other noteworthy thing that happened was uh, there was, like, it was me and a French guy playing at this table, basically, and, like, a very attractive woman in, like, cocktail dress or something. Like, she was about to go to the club, sat down with us. And I'm just, like, in my head, I just was like, oh, okay, she's probably a prostitute. Like, that's just what I assumed. And um, just if you've been to Bucharest, you kind of, I don't know, they're very laissez-faire about that kind of stuff there. Like, it's not out of the ordinary, I guess. But, uh, you know, anyway... She sat down and she started talking to us and she's like, hey, is there anything we can get you guys? Can I get you drinks or anything like that? So I, I actually think she was a, like a some sort of a, someone who worked for the casino just to make sure they're quote unquote higher limit players, which for was twelve fifty a hand, which is ridiculous. But it's Bucharest. So uh, the dollar goes a lot farther there. So, yeah, basically, I just think she was someone that was there to to make the higher limit players happy and make sure that they're happy. And that's what I'm assuming anyway, because she certainly wasn't playing. She was just talking with us. So I'm not really sure. Like I said, I only bought in for 300 lay, though. And, and you know, I, I busted pretty quick because it was a 50 lay at a hand table. And, you know, that was just basically that the extra lay I had. It was the last night before I went home. So it was a good time, though. So just 
you brought up the Radisson and that reminded me of it. So if you're ever in Bucharest, there are plenty of casinos around and there's even more slot parlors, which I didn't go to one of, one, one of so I can't really tell you more about them, but they're on every street corner uh, along with kind of erotic massage and stuff like that, which is also <laughs> on every street corner. So uh, it's a cool city, though. I don't know if you're ever in Eastern Europe. It's, it's probably worth, worth checking out. I, I enjoyed myself there. I've never been to Eastern Europe, but it sounds like that's where the do for a win 2017 meetup is, is going to be. <laughs> so I've now made so, jokes here about a meetup in Bucharest and on the Facebook group about a meetup about in Peru. Peru. Yeah. There is an Atlantic City casino in Peru, as people point out on looks Facebook. spectacular. Yeah, it looks awesome. Let's go. Yeah. So just if people want to know more about the casinos in Bucharest, I'm probably going to go back next year as well. I have uh, It's for work. I have employees out there, basically. So ask me any questions you want. I can try to do some research while I'm out there. We'll start a Bucharest podcast, do for, yes. do, do for a Win Bucharest, and then we'll just stop doing this podcast and only do Do For, do for a Win Bucharest. Yes. The Bucharest... Uh, 88 Days and to Casino Bucharest. Biz podcast. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. All right. Anyway, Frogger. now that I've taken the podcast totally off topic and added 10 extra minutes to it, uh, Frogger. So, uh, last episode, clearly, we talked a lot about Danger Arena, which is kind of the first iteration of skill-based gaming uh, in the country, as far as I know. And so there's a new one that's going to be coming to the trap in the Golden Nugget uh, called Frogger. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's called Frogger Get Hoppin'. Uh, it's a skill-based slot machine. Uh, Daryl McEwen, who is Seven Stars Insider, who we've mentioned repeatedly here, said that it's coming to both Tropicana and Golden Nugget. So that's uh, exciting because this is a slot, the skill-based slot that I think is much more along the lines of what we expected. Basically, your game is just a game of Frogger. It's not... It looked like from the video that I'll post in the show notes, it was a little unclear about how it actually works because it looked like you could kind of get hit by a car and keep going from the point you left off at instead of going back to the very start. So I think it's like timed. And then if you get hit, it like, I don't know, you have to sort of pick up where you left off, but it probably takes some time off or something. I'm not really sure. Uh, so based on how far you get in Frogger, you pick a lily pad and I guess the payouts under these lily pads are increased as you get further and if you get really far it helps if you pick the spin a wheel bonus so there's a one of the lily pads will have a spin a wheel under it if you're lucky enough to get that it sort of has this wheel of fortune style thing that spins where it like pays out a multiplier or some number of credits so it's much more sort of uh less video gamey i mean obviously it's a video game but it's like a you know old, old, old 1980s video game. Uh, probably a little more accessible, I think, to a lot of typical slot players who maybe look at Danger Arena and are t intimidated. One other thing I'll say about it is that it records your daily and lifetime highs, not your, but the machine's daily and lifetime high scores. So basically, at the end of the game, if you did well, you can enter your initials, and it'll show you the, the leaderboard for both the day and for you know, the lifetime of the machine, which is a very common thing in arcades. But I, to me, I think that's kind of the feature that jumps out as far as like, oh, this is something that has been missing from slots, from skill-based. I mean, obviously we've only seen Danger Arena, but something that could really draw people to beyond just the payouts, keep playing the game and try to get their initials up on that, on that machine. So uh, I'm interested to play it. I don't know if you have any feelings one way or the other about Frogger Get Hoppin'. Yeah, I mean, of course, I'd play it just like I, I played Danger Arena twice, and it was like I never need to play this again. This, like you said, this sounds a lot more like what we expected, where it is just a slot machine, and it's just basically the kind of like a, the mini game in it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, but I think it's only, I think, I can't guarantee this just based on the little video I saw, but he did say you go straight into the skill Right, you go game. straight into the game, and then it's the normal slot machine after that. See, that's what I thought, but I can't tell if there is ever actually a slot machine version. Was that in the video? Like, I think all oh, we yeah. ever saw was just he played, he picked So it. you just play the game, and then you pick from the five things, and the skill-based part is if you happen to get the one in five chance to find the wheel. Right, and then... You play again, I think. So mm. 
Um, so we'll have to sort of keep an eye out on it. I'm sure much more will come out on it as it gets closer to launch. We haven't heard anything about a launch timeline at Tropicana and Golden Nugget. One well, thing I, I would say that, you know, based on our conversation last week, you could check it out in January when you're there. But, of course, you've canceled your January trip like always. Yeah, so I actually cut out all the talk about my potential January trip from last episode because I already yeah. knew by the time I edited it that it wasn't going to happen. So, um, yeah, we had a family obligation, and I've already canceled my, my comp room on January 7th. So no no trip planned, which is sad. Uh, but one uh, thing it's a be- it's a better reason than last year. Yeah, where the dog got sick. Where Samuel was sick, and yeah. so you couldn't go to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, so... It's a Konami game, and Konami makes a lot of slot machines. If you play uh, My Vegas, you will be very familiar with things like China Mystery um, and basically all the games that look just like China Mystery in, in that um, system. Mask Ball Nights is a Konami game. So, like, those those things uh, – or Konami makes good games. They may, You know, they make good slot machines. It looks like a very good slot machine as far as just the quality and everything. The presentation is very good. Significantly better than Danger Arena. So I have some some serious optimism. Although when the dude demoed the gameplay in the video, I was a little confused about, like, how it worked when you got hit by a car and how far you needed to get and how it affected where you got paid out. But we'll learn all that stuff and we'll report back as we learn more or at least – report how others report <laughs> right all right so uh we mentioned this last episode and said we'd, we'd give it a more thorough going through this episode so borgata's resort fee's gone up to 15 dollars, which it was before but that doesn't include the state occupancy fee so so basically resort or borgata's resort fee has gone from 15 to 20 dollars um thanks to michelle from the facebook group for mentioning that uh Thanks to Craig for updating our list of resort fees, which you can find on our website, doforwind.com. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's not too much, I think, detail to get into on the specifics because, like you said, it's 15 plus 5, so now it's 20 bucks. That makes it, well, the fourth highest fee behind all the Caesars properties, which are now $32 when you add in the occupancy fee. Uh, so 20 bucks. I mean, it's still... It's only a few dollars more than resorts. It's only $5 more than everywhere else. But uh, it's sort of the start of the creep, right? Like everybody assumed that MGM was going to come in and they have, I think, the highest resort fees um, in, certainly Vegas. Ha- in Vegas and certainly higher yeah. than Wynn. Was it 39 or something? Yeah, I think their t- top tier properties are now $39, which is just insane. And, Crazy. Uh, And we've talked about this. I mean, we've said that there's no reason that they would not have the highest resort fee in Atlantic City because it's the nicest casino. It is the real resort until Revel or 10 opens. It's the one place that you can really say is a resort. I mean, arguably Tropicana. But um, so there's this is sort of for all the people who sort of felt like MGM was was going to come in and ruin things. This is going to be step one in their slippery slope argument to higher parking fees, the highest resort fees, skimping on the drinks, worse comps, like all of that. So if you are an alarmist, <laughs> here's sort of the first step in that uh, process. But I don't know. I don't know if I want to go that far. I'm certainly I, – I expect it will creep up just because I think we've seen that with MGM. But uh, I'm not too – you know, at twenty dollars, I'm not like, oh, well, I'm not going to stay at Borgata. I don't know if this change. I know that you said thirty-two at Caesars was very off-putting to you. I don't know if twenty at Borgata is off-putting to you at all. No, I would still stay at Borgata. It, it, this doesn't change my sort of opinion or ranking of the property. Um. So, so what value do you think for you? Well, you stayed at Caesars last time, so clearly I guess we haven't reached that value yet. But what do you think the value is for you where you start to be like, whoa, this is like too much. I don't want to stay here anymore. Yeah, I mean it's tough because we've talked about how seeing comp is such a aphrodisiac for lack of a better <laughs> word. It's very like – it's almost intoxicating. Like you see it and you just want to book it. Uh, but – I don't know what point. I mean, thirty-two. Even I'm 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 put off by, but I'll but I'll do it. And but the reason I'll say that I'll do it at Caesars is because typically, 
it's comp plus 32 versus comp plus 17 or 15 or whatever. Well, or not comped at all. So, like, oh. maybe I'll get comped okay. at Caesars and comped at Resorts. And, like, yeah, I'll pay $16 more to stay at Caesars than Resorts. But mm. maybe I'd prefer to stay at Tropicana, and I'd certainly st- prefer to stay at Borgata. But I don't get comps there. So, you know, that gets back into the whole conversation of, like, should I be looking elsewhere? So, clearly, the $32 is not enough to get me to look elsewhere. It might be enough to get me to get the Founders card. Because all of a sudden mm-hmm. the math is that much closer to whatever two hundred ninety five dollars a year. Right. Um, so it's tough to say. I mean, with Borgata, I've still never stayed at Borgata, so I can't really tell you what. You've, the... Really? I've never stayed at Borgata. That blows my mind. I cannot yeah. believe that you've never stayed at Borgata. Yeah. It's... Yeah, you've never stayed there. Yeah, I should basically like when be. You and banned. go down. You don't. No, she likes the boardwalk side. So I should be basically be banned from hosting an Atlantic City podcast until I rectify the situation. Yeah, that's Uh, crazy. I had no idea. If anyone is Borgata's listening, you can rectify this situation by hooking me up with a comped room. Oh, you had a comped room. uh, I I did have weekdays comped. Thursday, yeah. Until until you ruined it. (laughs) Until I ruined it by using my card and only playing like using your match play and then not doing anything else. I didn't have match play at Borgata. Oh, no, mm. I did have free slot play, though. So I used my free slot play. I put, like, maybe 40 bucks through a video poker machine, played some penny slots, and then left. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was dumb. That was not smart. Yep. So that's basically what I did last time I went, like, our two trips ago, and it ruined my comps. So yeah. I learned my lesson. So I went yeah. Thursday, but I, I gambled a decent bit there. So. Yeah. So I'll and be... then when you're like, "Let's go Saturday again," I'm like, "Oh no, I'm not doing this again." Also, I felt <laughs> horrible. So yeah, I mean, that's how we left. When we left, I actually went for like a half hour and played, and I'm like, "I'm leaving." Yeah, but you do now get seven nights a week at resorts. I do. Yes. Maybe we should be playing Risk. Like maybe I should be focusing all my energy at Tropicana, where you don't really well, I, play. I also get. I get six night a week comps like Trout, so. So why don't I just, I'll just use all your comps. I won't <laughs> even play. I won't even use my card. I'll just use your card. I just don't get Saturday nights there, but I get seven nights a week now at, at resorts. I got online confirmation. Yeah. I don't know. I, I did just get a mailer from resort. I thought that by only using my free play mm-hmm. at resorts and literally doing nothing else, I would have ruined it. But oh, I did, did you get the, uh, the, the Sunday through Thursday comp and $20 food credit? Oh, I only got $15 food credit. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. What a schlub you are. I know. Yeah. Established. Uh, so, staying on the Borg topic, do you want to move into their executive shakeup? Yeah, I, I guess that this is pretty big news. So, uh, two of their very top executives are leaving, Joe Lupo and Algie Cipollini, is that how you would say that? I have no idea. I'm Cipollini? going with Augie Cipollini. It could be Cipollini. I have no idea. So that, make that yeah. two, two names that we're butchering here. Yeah. Um, that's the so, disadvantage of reading things and then reporting them on a podcast. You can keep going. <laughs> yeah, so they're both senior VPs of operations at Borgata. They have gotten an offer or two offers, presumably, at Hard Rock and have left the Borgata. So... Uh, this sparked a conversation on Twitter between myself, Amy S. Rosenberg from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Nicholas Huba from the Press of Atlantic City, who I'll link to his article in the show notes, basically talking about where are these people actually going to end up? Like, where are they going to be stationed? Because, like an idiot, my first response, my first thought was, well, Hard Rock doesn't have anything in Atlantic City, so who knows where they're going? You know, are they going to Orlando? Or are they going to go to, uh, Las Vegas, someplace where Hard not Hard Rock International Hotel is. Um, oh, so so do we? Here, let me let me open the article. Do we know which Hard Rock it is? Because Orlando and Vegas are two totally different companies. They have not established. It's Hard Rock International, so we know it's Hard Rock International, which so is based the, in Orlando. That's, that's the East Coast Hard Rock, so yes. it wouldn't be Vegas because that is not affiliated that's, with Hard Rock. Okay, that's, so that's a uh, Brook Brook whoever Field, bought or whatever. It yeah, is. Brookfield. Whoever yeah. bought Revel the first time and then backed out. Yeah, so not Vegas, but one of the other East Coast Hard Rock Hotel. Um, so Hard Rock International, they didn't say where. So this sort of led to some interesting speculation about 
well, they're, they know the AC market, so they're probably going to stay in, in locally in Atlantic City. Um, certainly, so Hard Rock had a partnership with uh, Meadowlands Racetrack in Secaucus, which is up in the northern part of the state, as Nicholas Huba pointed out on Twitter, and said that's that's probably still their long-term goal. But my feeling is, you know, you don't pay two very high-level executive salaries for the hope that in the long term you finally get a bill passed that just was handily defeated uh, in in the state vote. So they're going to put them somewhere. The, the question was, you know, is this a potential Revel 10 partnership where they're going to be brought in to manage that casino? Uh, I threw Taj out there as a suggestion, and, and nobody seemed to agree with that, <laughs> um, which I can explain in, in a little more detail. But uh, so Revel 10, uh, we'll just call it 10. So 10 obviously has a management team in place, so this does add an extra layer to that. But it would make a lot of sense because Revel 10, <laughs> I can't even get myself to call it 10, is trying to go after the very same market that uh, Borgata has. And so if you, would have told, if you would have asked me who would you hire if you could hire – if you were starting a casino in Atlantic City, who would you hire if you could hire any executive? The person I would have said was Joe Lupo because he, to me, is sort of the public face of Borgata, and I think that's – you know, I don't think I'm saying anything controversial to say that that's the best-run casino, Atlantic City. They managed to do things with comps and with making it feel very, very gambler-centric that other casinos struggle with, um, where they make you feel like you're just welcome more than anywhere else. And so that's what I would have said. So this is definitely a coup for whoever gets him. And so if it is 10, it's a big, big pickup for them because it is going to be able to shape their ability to draw gamblers, hopefully. I mean, you'd think because he's been there and seen it and seen how the, the best does it. And the thing that Revel could never do is get people in the door until they did that you can't lose promotion and then people got all pissed about that because it, the way it was split up over 20 weeks and all that stuff we don't need to get in all that you can listen to the eric rosenthal episode where we talk, talk about that in a little more detail but uh do you have any thoughts on on where 10 I, I mentioned taj uh also because of the rumors that taj could reopen and you could sort of see like a taj hard rock partnership that got poo-pooed pretty quickly, I think, on Twitter. But I don't know. What do you What do you think? So, I mean, first, if it if it happens to be uh, Revel, it seems more promising than her last iteration because, you know, last time they were basically saying things like, "We don't even care if gamblers come or not. Like, we're not going after that crowd," which, you know, in retrospect, was a ridiculously stupid thing to be saying and building your company around. Uh, so that seems promising if it is heading towards 10, cause obviously this is a very gaming centric get, um, is it Taj? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know why it necessarily would be. I mean, I'd assume if it opens back up, like the management structure is probably going to be mo many of the same people again, although there's nothing that says it has to be. So I'm not really sure. I mean, I'd be most excited about Revel, though, if, if that's where, where they're going. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly most exciting um, because of the parallel. I think Revel and Borgata and the question about Revel was could they take market share away from Borgata? Uh, we asked that to to Dr. David Schwartz uh, in, in our interview with him. But I think my thinking with Taj was it might actually have to sort of open as this separate entity in order to break the union. So that would sort of give them this sort of like icon as maybe a minority investor, like 49% or whatever. I don't really know how the inner workings would work, but you'd call it hard rock. You'd have this, this new management team in place and open, you know, in a few months. The problem with that is if hard rock's long-term goal is still Meadowlands, Carl Icon has been very vocal about not not wanting North Jersey gambling. You know, he owns the Tropicana. He owns the Taj. He's basically said if North Jersey gambling happens, he wouldn't put this big investment into the Taj. Obviously, that's up in the air now because the Taj is closed anyway. But I would assume that he hasn't softened on that stance. Um, 
I mean, to go into wild, wild, wild speculation, which I know is probably not your favorite thing, Kyle, <laughs> you know, there, you you could argue maybe there's some sort of reciprocation where he gets some piece of hard rock if North Jersey gambling does happen. That is completely just talking out of my ass, so I don't, I don't see that happening. But, but in reality, like, that's just so many layers and so much – so many things having to happen. Revel 10 is, is much more in the realm of, of likelihood and, and real, realism. Yeah. Uh, That's quite, quite the story you've concocted. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a possible a, way that he could be going to. Uh, this is like what would gosh. happen when I was writing like a paper in, in my MBA program. And it's like you sort of have to like do some case study and you're just like making it up as you go along. It was like, well, this could happen, but then this could happen. And also yeah. like they provide equity because like everyone will do anything for equity and not not you know their actual best interests but anyways uh right. my my bayesian soul says that while your story is something that can happen it is possible it certainly doesn't seem plausible to me no it's no i'll even admit it's highly implausible uh the thing that my mind really wanted to go to was atlantic club <laughs> <laughs> just because i love atlantic club and i want it to reopen i want i want hard rock uh whatever hard rock mm -hmm. grant by the atlanta <laughs> club fight the deed restriction in court yeah that that's an even crazier story than my taj concoction but <laughs> i would love it if atlantic club reopened uh so the other question about this though that i think we should maybe talk about briefly is we've already talked about the resort fee as an mgm thing uh Nick Cuba on Twitter did say MGM likes to have their own people managing the uh, the company. Is this a situation where they sort of left because MGM came and said like, "Hey, we've got our own guys. Like, you, there's not really going to be a space for you." Uh, the sense uh, Cuba did say on Twitter that he got the sense that it was just an offer that was too good to pass up, but. There are going to be questions until one of these two guys says otherwise, uh, basically asking, is MGM sort of the reason that they left? Or is you know MGM sort of purging people and, and, and getting rid of redundancies and that kind of thing? We probably There's probably no way that we'll ever know that. Like people probably would never even admit that. We won't know based on who gets put into the – put into these positions at Borgata from MGM, but – uh, it, it's interesting to speculate, and and I think it'll sort of go into the narrative if the resort fees go up, if they put in people who are from their Vegas operation, you know, if all of these things kind of go together and, and profit growth plan becomes a key word at Borgata, uh, I think we're going to start to have sort of a some connecting of the dots here as to how, as to how this is all related. Well, I mean, it just sounds to me like like the people in the know seem to think that this was actually hard rack going out and getting him and not like him seeing the writing on the wall or him hearing that his job was going to be in danger. So, so, so the two of them leaving, but uh, yeah, I don't know. This, this could be something that'll come out in, in future weeks and months and whatever. Yeah. I mean, it'll be very, very interesting to see where they end up, like where they are placed. Um, if they end up getting placed in like Orlando or something, it would be the biggest, anticlimactic thing possible but i i think the prevailing wisdom is that's not the case mm -hmm. yeah i mean we'll have to see yeah that's the the motto of our news uh mm -hmm. <laughs> the mantra of our news coverage is we'll have to see uh so do you want to talk about some good news at 10 now that we're talking about potential maybe people in place as as high up uh, execs at 10 Great. So it sounds like they have gotten, finally, a certificate of occupancy, which if they wanted to open June 15th or whatever that date was, <laughs> they probably should have done before then. But uh, so according to the city of Atlantic City, they are now allowed to have people in their hotel, right? Yes, they have a temporary certificate. That's not the permanent certificate, uh, in case you didn't know what temporary meant. Uh, but this is a big hurdle cleared. They still need a gambling license, and they're and they're working on that. Uh, but assuming that Glenn Straub goes crazy again and is like, I'm opening the hotel tomorrow, he actually can in theory now, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think he could say and, – and that might happen. I mean 10 released that press release saying we'll open in Q1. But I think that – I think 10 is, is the casino operation and that the hotel might be something totally different. 
so it's possible. I, I sort of would think at this point that Straub would say, well, I've got the casino in the pipeline. Like, why would I open the hotel? But I don't know. We've seen Straub do stranger things than that. <laughs> uh, so again, Nicholas Yuba, Press of Atlantic City. I'll link to his article in the show notes. But uh, big hurdle cleared. Probably should have been done a long time ago. It didn't seem like this is some something that was impossible to get done. So it's just that it it had to get done. So it was like a complete, whatever you call it, like a point of like you had to do it or else nothing else could happen from that point. So I'm sure there's some project management term that is just escaping me right now. Save me, Kyle. What's the term? <laughs> it's like the, the bottleneck of, of opening it back up. It's not really a bottleneck. Though. No, it's, it's a, something else. Yeah. Something, something waterfall method uh, that you all don't need to know about. <laughs> so, well, yeah. a- agile, man. That's what... Yeah. I'm not waterfall. Get out of here with it. Yeah, I'm all about waterfall method. I'm kidding. I... <laughs> Nobody needs to know anything about this. No, everyone. Yes, just, let's talk yeah. about the Pembach <laughs> project <laughs> management uh, book. Oh, God. I should delete all this, but I'm not going to. So, <laughs> anyways, temporary certificate of op- occupancy. They have it. As of October 28th, so they can open if they want to. Sweet. So I think that's pretty much the news. Uh, we've kind of plowed through it in half an hour or so. I don't know. So one thing I wanted to talk about, because we've been playing craps a lot, I think it's sort of become, if not our main table games, one of our sort of focal table games. I always sort of thought of myself as a blackjack player and realized maybe six months ago, like, I never actually play blackjack. I've certainly... Yeah, you you almost never play blackjack. Very rarely. And it was the thing that I played more than anything when I started, and I learned basic strategy, and I spent hundreds of hours studying it. Never play blackjack anymore. We've gone more toward craps. I think we still play some of the Asian room games more, Pygo Poker, Pygo Tiles. But one thing that I realized after last trip is that I should not be playing craps. And we discussed this online, which is that the reason I should not be playing craps is because I bet in a way that I don't actually know what I should be paid when I win. Right. And that is bad. <laughs> so, so, right, Craig Craig came to me, and uh, this is basically coming up because as it said in the show notes, at least before, like we want to talk about this because you actually really don't know or you didn't know, maybe before you did the research for this, how things got paid in craps. Right. I mean, and... I, I think I, I knew generally how, but I didn't know, like, I didn't know it off like, the top of my head. Here's the thing. Craps is, like, a reasonably complicated game. Like, even for the dealers who do this as their job, and, like, it's really important that you know, like, what you should get because, like, these people are human and they do make mistakes sometimes, and, like, you have to be able to correct them. It's not, like, an... I don't want to say it's frequent, but it's not infrequent that like I have to correct the dealer on what I should have been paid or a lot of times, you know, at tables where they have like the the fourth man, the kind of pseudo pit boss. I don't remember his name right now, but the the guy in the middle, that's not the stick, the guy on the other side of the table, uh, you know, he'll have to correct the dealer because the dealer will pay something wrong. Um but it's really important that you know what you're going to get paid because, you know, the guy's paying a whole bunch of stuff and it's just something that can get messed up. Yeah, and that's something that I think what kind of hammered that home. And I've always sort of known that because I've heard you can bet on that. They mentioned sort of, you know, they've had situations where they've had to correct the dealer but or people have called in and said they've had to correct the dealer. But what hammered at home is I was playing Pygao poker with Eric at Caesars and there was a guy dealing uh, who was acting as the dealer a lot or banking, I guess. And Mm -hmm. he would bet huge amounts and he would frequently, frequently have to correct the dealer as to what the commission was and what he would be paid out based on, you know, the difference. Uh, So, you know, those games, so any game you should know (laughs) what you should get paid out because it's important to correct the dealer if it gets messed up. And so what I realized was, like, I sort of, you know, I know that there are multipliers. I know what they are, but I can't pull them out of the top of my head when when I should. And so... I mean, re- you, should, you should know, like, when you're making a bet, you should know what you're expecting to get back. 
Exactly. And I didn't. And that, and I realized, and I said to you, like, I should not, I should not be allowed to play craps until I know it. Um, so, and, and so let me just, I mean, here's the other thing though, if you're ready, normal stuff, like the dealers know, know is going to know how to pay like a, a, a $12 on the six when a six right. comes up or whatever. Like that's something they will know that, Oh, that's 14. Yeah. And so here, where I screwed myself up, I think is that basically my sort of weird style was at a $10 table, I would put $10 on, on the pass line, which is, you know, totally normal. And yep. if it, if the point was six or eight, I'd put three times odds, so thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. If it was four, five, nine, or ten, I'd put twenty dollars behind it. Mm-hmm. And then I'd throw twelve dollars on the six and eight. So, yep. you know, that's pretty straightforward. That's the standard bet on the six and eight. Uh, but when when you're not doing three, four, five, like the reason it's three, four, five times odds is because all of those things pay out the same if you bet mm-hmm. on three, four, five. So I was doing this weird sort of like two, two, three thing. And so like when four would come out, it's like, wait, what, what do I get paid out on that? So that, that kind of screwed me up. And so 40 on your odds. Yeah. And so, so initially I was kind of thinking like, well, I should just bet the same thing all the time and just bet three times odds. And I was like, that's dumb because it's still different. Like, why don't I just bet the three, four, five, <laughs> right? Right. And then you're getting – on a $10 table, you're getting $70 every time. There's no confusion. Well, you said you didn't want to do that maybe because it's it's a lot of money, right? Right. So we can, Especially on a $10 table. Yeah. So we can, we can get into okay. that a little bit. But basically Sorry. if you're doing – you know, if you're on a $10 table and you do 10 on the pass line and you do three, four, five, which is 30 on the 4 and 10, mm-hmm. 40 on the 5 and 9 and 50 – backing up your bet on the Which is what six I, and eight. I do. And it, I mean, it's what you should do because the, the backing up the know. odds. What is... you should do is put whatever the maximum odds on anything, but right. So fine. assuming it's a three, four, five odds table, right? Okay. Yep. Um, which I guess a lot of Atlantic city is what just five. It's not even three, four, five. Yeah. yeah. Or 10 sometimes. I think, um, I think a lot of Atlantic city is 10. Yeah. It used to be a hundred at wild, wild west, but not anymore. It did used to be a hundred. Uh, so basically if you do three, four or five on a $10 table, you're getting $70 wins every time the point hits. Cause you're getting 10 for the pass line and 60 for backing it up. Because if you know, you've got 30 on the four and the 10, it's two times, whatever, you know, you know, you can figure that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's 70 every time. So that makes it much more straightforward because you're just altering your bet amount. But when you, when it's time to get paid, you know what you're getting. So that makes much more sense in my mind than saying like, oh, I'll just bet evenly the entire time and i need to remember like i'm getting whatever it is 46 dollars on on six or eight and 55 on on five and nine that that's yeah, 46 that's right yeah mm-hmm. i think it's 46 55 and 70 or something like that it's confusing um so so like yeah bet betting consistently and betting based on the three four five i think is smart uh same thing with with placing the numbers six and eight. You place twelve twelve dollars on that. You get fourteen. If you do ten dollars on five or nine, you get fourteen. So you can do the same thing where you're always getting fourteen. Um, you should not be placing the four or ten, right? You should be buying them. But I never right. get into four and ten. I don't deal with that. That's too much for my senses, as we've established. <laughs> uh, so it should not be hard to know what you're getting paid. Like as complicated as the craps table looks, it should not be hard to know what you're getting paid. Uh, and so what I would do though is I'd you know like I said I'd do this sort of two two three and then place the six and eight, and the other problem with that is that it feels like there are a lot of roles where you know a point is established and maybe it's six or eight and then you've got money on the other one and then four roll five nine three twelve like all those rolls happen and you get nothing you know it's just like waiting for one of your one of three numbers to hit. So, so I don't, do you, do you just do a similar thing to that? I mean, we talked a little bit about it last episode, but, but what do you do beyond just the six and eight and the pass line? A lot of times that's a, sometimes I'll make a couple of come bets, but that's, that's generally it. Um, just, I mean, placing the six or eight is like much, much better than placing any other number on the table just so you know in terms of how sitch correct and in terms of you know whatever how often you get paid out too if right. it's something you care about which i know for you it, it is like even if the house edge was the same like you still probably like you personally probably wouldn't put much on the four and the ten just because it 
tends to be like a higher risk, higher reward thing, right. which is not what you like. No, that's not my style. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I think we both kind of similarly don't do much beyond the the pass line, pass line odds in six and eight, and and so I was playing some simulators now that I've established that I know at least what I should get paid out when I the way I bet. And it is weird when you're playing a simulator and it's like roll, nothing, roll, nothing, roll, nothing. And then finally, you know, seven happens or six or eight and you get a little bit of money. So I I was sort of trying to figure out what a better way to get some more excitement on every roll would be. And the obvious suggestion is the one that you can bet. uh, You can bet on that always recommends to new players, which is just play the pass line and the pass line odds and then two combats. So, you know, you uh, a point is set. You back it up with with your whatever three four five times odds or whatever you want to do, and then you place a combat. And so when the combat comes out, if it's seven, you lose your pass line and your pass line odds, but you get whatever it is on your combat. Uh, if it's a different number, it basically sets a point, and it's just like having it is having multiple points set. So it's the same odds and everything as as the pass line. And what I found in my playing is that it is more exciting. The down the sort of downside is that if you do that. And you've got three, four, five times odds. You could end up with a lot of money on the table, and a seven out really kind of hits you three times as hard. It does hit you three times as hard. So, uh, I think that was a little much for me. <laughs> the two two combats, um, which you could argue like maybe I shouldn't be playing craps if that's <laughs> if that's a problem. Right, and that's what I told you is like craps is just uh, it is a high variance game, and if that bothers you, you should be playing blackjack or something instead. Yeah, or Pygal, right? Pygal poker, Pygal tiles—my favorite games in the casino. <laughs> um, so my brother, who has not played craps other than sort of pooling money with me and uh, and watching, and he watched a lot of craps on this latest trip, is very interested in it and really wants to play. And so he sent me a pretty elaborate system that he played on on a sim on the Wizard of Odds uh, simulator, where. He's basically constantly adding new combats. So every roll, if his point did not hit or if it was not a seven out, the next roll he'd be adding a new combat. So, you know, you could end up with all the points posted, Mm -hmm. right? And and just an unbelievable amount of money out there. And Well, is it any different than someone who, like, plays the insider or, or something like that? I mean, not sure there's the four and the ten, but not really. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I, I mean, for me, it's just that it's it's the risk that you get a ton of money out there is is more than I would want. Uh, one thing that he sort of was tr- was playing with in his mind was increasing as he ended up with more combats out there, increasing his initial combat on the next bet. So if he had like four points set, mm-hmm. adding to the combat because it hedges, right? Because if you if you then say you've got all these ten dollars with how whatever two times or three times odds if if it sevens out you're getting crushed but if you've got twenty five dollars on the on the combat it sevens out you get twenty five bucks back and you lose everything else so it, it is a, a sort of a hedge it's not really i think the typical form of craps hedging where you bet on like any craps or any seven which are terrible bets um but obviously to me right. it's like well then you're getting even more money out there right. and like i don't want to do that then you yeah. end up with like three times the size of your pass line on like a four somehow. Right. And the, and the other side of that is on a simulator where it's only your bets and that's all you have to see. Very easy to keep track of in an actual game. I don't think I would be able to keep track of like, Oh, I have all these points. Do I need to be increasing my combat now? Do like what's going on? It would be a lot for me. I mean, we've established that I barely even know what I should be getting paid out. So clearly, I I can't keep that all straight in my head. Um, Maybe you computer science folks are better at that than I am, um, since you and my brother are both in that field. But that's not something I think that I can keep going in my head. Uh, (laughs) I think that's with everybody else's chips out there. I think that's just too much for me. Let alone the amount of money out there. I just can't handle it. So, so Steve, who we've mentioned repeatedly as as one of our uh, longtime listeners and and our first ever emailer and and still a uh, fairly frequent emailer, he just places all the numbers and says, "Okay, this is my way of making sure that I'm much more likely to get paid 
in any role. I have action on much much more roles, so I'm not just sitting here twiddling my thumbs as people roll, you know, f- fours and tens and fives and nines like I normally am. Um, and so he likes that system a lot. I don't know if he presses um, if they hit. I don't know if he, you know, doubles his bet and ke- keeps money out there or what. But, you know, that would be another way to do it. I think, again, for me probably not exactly what i want to do because like the come bet is sort of it's it's gradual you know you like you add another bet you add another bet whereas this is like here's all my money out there (laughs) and then if the next roll is a seven you you know you're done you lose all that money but uh i don't know if you have an opinion on just you know putting out all the numbers and and hoping to effectively get portions of your pass line and pass line odds back based on that uh I haven't looked into like the house edge on that strategy or anything. Uh, well, you're so in craps. Clearly, it's different because every bet has a different house edge. But you're not going to change house edge by having a different betting strategy. It's going to be what it is. Yeah, it's not about this. It's not about. I mean, when I say strategy, it's not about like oh, I'm going to win with this strategy. It's about. It's really just about your how you like to play, like what gives you the most excitement. And for, for him, I think it's, I like having all the numbers out there because if these numbers hit, I get a little bit of my bet back and it doesn't take too many rolls to get, you know, all of those bets back. Whereas if you're doing come bets, like you've got to hit those numbers twice. Um, but it doesn't, I mean, that's not, it's like gambler's fallacy, though, right? Because if you have a combat and it's hit something once, like you can't think of it as having to hit twice. That's true. It's like if your number's on a number, it doesn't have to hit it twice; it just has to hit it once. Yeah, and you get paid out if the seven hits, right? Uh, which is just nice. Like to me, that's a big advantage. Like you, you, <laughs> the thing you cannot say is a combat is worse because it has to hit twice. That's like gambler's fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my words, not his, so I'll, right. <laughs> I won't put words in his mouth. But So, okay, I mean, like, all you're doing, like, you can do that. You can place all the numbers. Like, you're just uh, making it so you're more likely to get a, a small win or a small lot, like, or break even or something. But, like, you're also a little likely to have, like, a tremendous loss when someone sets a point and summons out right away, which is a thing that can happen. Believe me, I'm the expert at that, so... <laughs> Uh, and then you lose all your money. I mean, it's like, you know, you can go in and be like, Hey, I'm going to bet the Martingale and you know, whatever. I have a 99% chance of winning in any given session, but then the 1% happens and you're bankrupt or whatever. I mean, this isn't quite as extreme as that, but it's the same basic thing. You're, you're making it. So you're more likely to maybe have a small win, but also have like a higher likelihood of having like a tremendous loss. Yeah, and I think that's why I like the combats because the combats is basically just playing another pass line point system within the game. Mm. It is. I mean, that's what it is uh, within the game. And you add a second one, and it's like you've got a little bit of action. It's a little more exciting. Um, placing all the numbers makes me nervous, I'll say. Uh, but in doing this, I think – and you can – I'm interested to hear your take on this strategy is to go – is to scale back my what I back up my bets with and doing one and a half to two and a half. So if it's a $10, I mean, obviously that doesn't work on a $5 table because <laughs> there's no $7.50 chip. But um, doing, if it's a $10 table, doing 15 on the four and 10, 20 on the five and nine, and 25 on the, the six and eight, and then you're getting paid $40 whenever your point hits. So it's, you know, it's not a big, as big a payout, obviously, but there's less risk. And the advantage is if you're, if you're setting yourself as my strategy is, or my, like the way I'm going to play is one pass line and two combats, you'll never have more than a hundred dollars out on the table at a time. So you're never at risk of losing more than a hundred dollars on a seven out, uh, unless you're placing the six and eight or doing other stuff. But because if you have, you know, a point established, that's the six, you've got 35 bucks, 10 plus your you're 25. If you've got an eight, you've got another 35. And then if it's a five or a nine, you've got another 30. So that's the max. Um, and it'll typically probably be less than that. Typically you'll probably crap out before you even get to <laughs> two combats. But, um, so that I, I think is probably the way I'm going to play. I hope that I do not just 
get to the fl- the the casino and say like mm, I'm gonna go back to my weird two two three system or say I'm just gonna bet three times odds every time um, because that is dumb. So correct me if I do that, Kyle. You're on you're on Craig policing sure. <laughs> duty at the craps table. Um, I'll and, just I'll just quiz you in all of your bets and make yeah. sure you know what you're supposed to get. Yeah, just and point, if you point ever get it wrong, I will just pull down your chips and yeah. take them myself. Yeah, or I just take that down <laughs> and give it to me. Yeah, just put <laughs> add this to my odds. This They'll man do does this yeah. man doesn't know what I'm doing. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if you have feelings about. Obviously, in the long run, that's a worse way to play because there's no house edge on the odds bets. But right, but it increases your variance, right? I mean, yes, of course. Like, if you want to play mathematically correctly and you have an infinite bankroll or, like, whatever, your bankroll is big enough for whatever the limit you're playing, you should take max odds on everything you take max odds on because it makes the house edge much smaller. But, you know, in reality, like I said, I tend to play 3, 4, 5 because playing $50 on a 4, like, that just seems like eh, it's a lot for me. And it's nice, you know, you get $100 back if if, if it hits, but, you know, it's $110 with your pass line bet. But, uh, you know, it's you're hitting, well, you're 2 to 1, basically. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's fine. I tend to only put around double odds on my come bet, sometimes slightly more if it's a 6 or an 8, but I don't put a ton on, I don't put as much on a come bet as a pass line bet, which doesn't make sense, but that's how I do it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the reason that I would stick with that 1.5 to 2.5 is because it would allow me to put the same amount on my combats and still not feel like I had too much money on the table. Uh, so then I'm still like my simple, you know, brain still knows that it's, it's $40. Anytime you, your, your point hits, that's what the dealer should be sending your way. You don't have to worry about anything else. Um, so I will say like, at least I am not, any kind of craps expert that should be established. If any of this is just horrible, uh, horrible mathematically or, or bad strategy, let us know (laughs) or let me know, uh, (laughs) because I'd be interested to hear it. And I'm actually, I'm also interested to hear anybody else's ways of, you know, I, not necessarily your system because, you know, you're not going to, the house edge is the house edge and you're not going to beat the game, but your you know how you get the most enjoyment out of your crafts playing um and for me i think the way i want to try to do that is with two combats cool so yeah to- i mean uh, it's combats are fun and it's great when it hits and you know obviously it, it is nice that you get a little something back when they seven out or you know when they seven on the pass line you know do you know that what happens like they the house usually takes your odds down so that's kind of nice too when you're like hey i didn't do as badly as i could have though it's annoying when they make your point on a, a come out roll so yeah you can ask them to leave them up though right yeah you can ask them yeah you can ask, to, ask them to keep everything on true but they if you don't say anything they take your odds down on a on a come out roll right of any combats yeah i mean so the other thing that's fun in the simulator is like say you've got a combat that's the six and then you place another combat like that would be your third your second combat and mm-hmm. the six gets rolled out and then you get paid out and you have the six again like <laughs> so you know if somebody rolls four sixes in a row like that's that's always good for you but that's probably right. going to be good for you no matter how you're playing the game and there's just like things you learn after a while too like if you have 12 on the six and you have a com like a ten dollar com and then a six comes like you can put 25 odds on it and you get a dollar back or whatever i hope that's right but <laughs> yeah that'll be so. what people email us about <laughs> all of my idiocy and you're like one dollar mistake i, I what... make one specific example and it's probably wrong so what you get the you have 12 out and 14 so that's 26 yeah it works nice you get one back uh yeah i can us... add 12 with 14 <laughs> you maybe you can <laughs> yes uh should we close this thing out since you've got to go do work yeah i've got work to do like always it sounds terrible um sure so uh thank you guys for listening i know i said this last time but i just want to say it again thanks to everyone who who participates in our facebook group thanks to everyone who who came out to atlantic city with us a couple weeks ago uh, it was a great time so if you are interested in participating in the facebook group uh please join us at facebook.com slash group slash do for a win i think we're up to like 250 or something right it's a lot yeah two over it's 240 for sure it's been, it's been exploding recently so thank you guys for that thank you guys for spreading the word uh, you can find all of our non-existent content at doforawin.com. 
Uh, you can find our podcast, which I don't know why you'd have to find our podcast if you're listening to this now on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, search for Do For A Win or Atlantic City. And you can reach out to Craig at Do For A Win on Twitter or shoot him an email at Do For A Win at gmail.com. Uh, anything, any last words before we go, Craig? No, we'll see you all in a couple weeks and enjoy your Thanksgiving. Yeah, enjoy your Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, just for people who are listening and happen to be in the Maryland area, check out the Facebook group. Some of us may be meeting up at Maryland Live either Saturday or Sunday night of Thanksgiving weekend. But uh, we will talk to you, everyone, in two weeks. Have a nice Thanksgiving. This is like our anniversary episode, right? Tuesday is uh, one year of, uh, of due for a win. So you said you, you listened to it and were appalled by the audio quality? It was really bad. I should, I should re-listen. Mm, you really shouldn't.